You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we've got a decent amount going on today, but it's all kind of little stuff, so I'm actually slightly concerned this isn't going to take very long. But I want to talk a little bit through the um, the coaches. So there's some stuff that I wanted to go through before, which is looking at some of the other assistants. Um, primarily offensive coordinator. I know that seems silly, but just we'll we'll talk about that. I don't think he's going anywhere, but let's just start there and then look at some of the other ones. What you know, whatever. I want to do my Green Bay Packers versus the rest of the league. Which, by the way, hilariously, I did my on this day in history last night. 365 days from yesterday, I had done the Packers versus the league thing. I didn't know that until yesterday when I posted it. I was like, oh, that's funny. I did this same time last year. So we will get to that. Otherwise, just little stuff. So yeah, I don't think this is going to be a super long episode. We'll have to see how it goes. But anyways, thank you very much to Matthew for jumping in on Patreon. If you do enjoy the show, you appreciate the work that I put in. We're up to two shows a day now, plus a lot of, you know, prep work and whatnot. It it takes quite a while. If you wouldn't mind at least considering going to patreon.com slash pack underscore daddy, there is a link in the description, and supporting the show for even a buck would be greatly appreciated. Again, a, a, a dollar to me means a lot more than the dollar does to you. I'm assuming. I don't know. Maybe you got some, some issues. If a dollar means a lot to you, then please do not give it to me. But I would, uh, wouldn't mind if you would consider that. Otherwise, make sure you jump in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Make sure you are following the correct podcast. If the logo says Packernet, that's not the right one. If, um quote-unquote, my podcast keeps showing you other podcasts, that's not the right one. My podcast is just my podcast. The logo says Pack Daddy. The name of the podcast is Packernet Podcast. It's a little bit confusing, but if you wouldn't mind subscribing to my podcast, the only reason I'm asking you to do that is because iTunes, although I get all of the downloads from the other podcast, when you listen to that, that's fine, but iTunes doesn't know you're listening to my podcast. They think you're just listening to that other one, and they're looking at mine going, eh, nobody really listens to this, so we're not going to bump it up. The fact of the matter is, I believe the vast majority of people listening to my podcast are actually subscribed to the other podcast, which is why I cannot get up the ratings, uh, the rankings on all these other, you know, Stitcher and iTunes and whatnot. At least I think that's a big part of the reason. I actually found a different podcast player because I like to check my rankings on that, and I looked at the number of subscriptions, and there's about three times as many people subscribe to the other show as there are to mine, which is great. I mean, it's, a lot of you are doing that on purpose. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake, and it is a cool resource. Um, I just know by looking at the reviews of the other podcast, lots of them are starting off with, great job, Ryan. It's like, no, man, <laughs> go to the other one. Come on. So I'm going to post that in the, uh, in the group and on the page just to make sure you know. But I think that's about it. Why don't we take a break and uh, see what we got to talk about today. If you're looking for something fun and amazing to do coming up in the next month, how about you consider following your favorite baseball team to the Arizona Cactus Spring League training? If you've never been, it's a great way to kind of mix up what you do with the family. You know, I know for us, it's always got to be Florida. And every year, it's 
we should probably do something other than Florida because, you know, number one, we just should experience other things in our lives. Number two, that tends to be pretty pricey because then you got to go to a theme park and that costs a billion dollars. This would be a great way to get out and see some natural, wonderful scenery. Got the Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, Horseshoe Bend, Tucson, Arizona. Go check out urban centers, ghost towns, sort of the, you know, artsy communities, quirky outposts. And you can just do more outdoorsy stuff. Hiking, biking, you know, skydiving, if you're into that, uh, whatever. And again, they got some wonderful resorts out in Arizona to bring the family to. They got water parks, horseback rides, and of course, baseball. So why don't you plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. But before you go, make sure you get some commercial-grade home security, like Simply Safe. Protect your home from top to bottom, whether it's break-ins, using their cameras, their entry motion and glass break sensor. They can send video feeds straight to the police. Or just worrying about fire protection, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning. It's a great way to really enjoy a carefree vacation, knowing that your home is going to be intact when you get back. It is monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. It's super simple to set up. You can do the whole system top to bottom by yourself, no tools needed. Or, if you don't want to, Simply Safe experts can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day. So make sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime today to get free shipping on your order plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime to save on home security today. Simplysafe.com slash overtime. All right, so I was contemplating doing the fun stuff first just because I worry about time, but I really don't think time is going to be an issue. So let's run through the news and notesy stuff first. First of all, um, we are officially on free agent watch and I know Austin Hooper is a big-time target for a lot of Packers fans, as is Hunter Henry, although Hunter Henry is expected to be back with the team. Apparently, Henry's uh, agent, Jimmy Sexton, was already meeting with the Chargers uh, yesterday. So it's it's moving pretty quick, and they're pretty motivated to get that done. Austin Hooper, on the other hand, is expected to hit the market, and he's expected to probably sign pretty quick, because he's one of those guys, usually the way free agent works, usually, is that the big-name guys get locked up fast. And so there's a, an immediate frenzy of this guy got signed, this guy got signed, this guy got signed. And some of the bigger names, they go quick. And Austin Hooper is going to be one of those big names that goes pretty quick. And it's expected to be a very big contract. And the uh, the cool thing about that, and, and part of the reason I, I wanted to bring this up and continue to bring it up, is because it's not just Packer fan speculation. According to Tony Pauline, who's been keeping his ear to the ground over in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, which is where all these rumors start to swirl, and it's, it's cool because... For the combine and all that stuff, that's where you get all the rumors because everybody talks to everybody else. There are three teams that are really big on the radar uh, for signing Austin Hooper. They are the Arizona Cardinals, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Green Bay Packers. Now, that's not to say that that this is straight from the mouth of the GM, but the people in the know, when asked about Austin Hooper, where do you think he's going to end up, those are the three names, the three teams that keep coming up. Cardinals, Seahawks, Packers. Now, according to... Um, over the cap, the Packers are the lowest on that list. Packers they have sitting at 32 million. However, they drop that to 28 million because that's the maximum they can have once you bring the team up to 51. In other words, you have to re-sign at least X amount of people to get yourself to 51, and that drops the team down to 28 million. 
The Cardinals, by contrast, 53 million and the Seahawks, 57 million. So they're in much better position. However, when you look at guys that need to get signed, the Seahawks are in a really, really tough position. And I put part of this in my uh, mock draft that I did that's posted on Packernet.com. Guys like Jadavian Clowney. That's a guy that could be looking for upwards of $20, $25 million. They also have a bit of a crisis just along the defensive line. I forget the exact numbers, but it's it's over 50% of their entire defensive line are free agents this year. And a good portion of the remaining guys are free agents after this year. So in other words, most of them are free agents right now. And about half the guys that aren't free agents will be after this year. And that's just the defensive front. The Cardinals, on the other hand, I think are in a little bit better situation. They've got a bunch of free agents, but I don't know how many of these guys are high-priority, high-dollar players. So if I had to put my money down somewhere, I would say the Cardinals end up with them just because they got a ton of money. And just, I mean, they already locked up Larry Fitzgerald, so this is already post-Larry Fitzgerald. They got $53 Looking at their list of free agents, I mean, mean, that's the thing. It's It's just a bad team, and this is how... Bad teams end up with so much money because who's going to sign any of these guys to ten million bucks? Marcus Gilbert, DJ Humphreys, maybe DJ Humphreys, but he's not that good, so he's not going to get fifteen twenty million. I don't think Charles Clay, the tight end, but why bother signing him for another two three million when you can go out and get Austin Hooper, Max Garcia, Brett Hundley? I mean, some of these guys you have to resign just by necessity, right? Now, there's a lot of offensive linemen here. You need to have somewhat of an offensive line to move forward. But the point is, you're not going to sign him for a lot of money. Two million bucks, right? In fact, the only guy on this list that's currently being paid over, you know, two-ish million dollars is Marcus Gilbert, the right tackle, getting paid sick. DJ Humphreys, 2.2. So I I just think they're going to have a ton of money if they want to go all in on Austin Hooper. Now, at the end of the day, also, everybody just has a price that they find reasonable. I don't think the Packers got Zadarius Smith because they had the most money. And I don't think they would have won had anyone expected Zedaria Smith to have as good of a year as he did. It's not always about the most money. It's about what he's worth to you. And so the Packers saw Zedaria Smith and said $17 million, and most people looked at that, myself included, and said that's way too much. Because nobody thought he would get as many sacks or as much be as good as he was. And again, I guarantee you there's a lot of teams that had 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 million dollars sitting there to spend that would happily have given them 20 if they would have known how good he was going to be. So there's also that dynamic, and, and it depends how interested the Cardinals are and what they're willing to pay and all that kind of stuff. I would be willing to bet quite a bit. But um, if it just comes down to there is a set idea of how much he's worth, I, I suppose you could also look at Austin Hooper and say, where does he want to go? Maybe the Cardinals, you know, they're willing to offer him $12 bucks a year. The Packers say $11 million a year, but he looks at it and goes, I don't want to play for the Cardinals. I want to go somewhere that isn't terrible. So, we go, you know, so there are other variables in there, but, you know, I tend to think money is the biggest variable, and I think the Cardinals have the most of it, so I would put them number one. Maybe Seattle kind of number two, but they have got so many needs all over the place. Their offensive line is still just an absolute nightmare, and because they've got to prioritize guys like Jadavian Clowney, uh, they've got to bring that down. I think they're going to be looking at free agency in a lot of other areas, whereas the Packers are focused primarily on wide receiver and tight end. Maybe linebacker, I suppose, but, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's iffy between, we we got to see how much Seattle actually has left over by the end of this. But either way, again, not that there can't be a surprise team that comes up. I'm sure it's not just three teams that are interested, but those are the three teams that make the most sense to everybody in terms of where he's going to end up.
and 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 again, this is the third year in a row now where we get to be excited about free agency. And every time there's rumors about a player, the Packers are always involved. If there's talk about how many people had reached out, Brian Gutekunst usually reached out, even if he's not 100% certain. He's always picking up the phone. He's always asking how much, what are the details, what does he want, what you know, what. Give me all the information. And that's one of the things I love about Brian Gutekunst. Ted Thompson wouldn't even pick up the phone. If he did, he was super tight-lipped. But that's the thing. It doesn't even matter if he's tight-lipped because somebody on the other side, it, it, it always gets leaked. Guys like Ian Rappaport find out. They find these things out. And you never, ever, ever heard that, that Ted Thompson was asking. Every year you're always hearing teams that have made a call on this player. Da-da-da, you know, the Colts, the Jaguars, the Packers, the Cowboys. Always the Packers. And something else to consider as far as the Austin Hooper thing. Jimmy Graham is already the highest paid tight end. The Packers are always willing to go real heavy after tight ends. If we cut Jimmy Graham, we save $8 million. Now, that's $3.6 million in dead money, but that's $8 million that you could just transfer to Austin Hooper and then put on top of that, right? That's the thing, that the, the current looking, and that's why the, the current salary cap doesn't totally make sense because the Packers number is going to go up because there's high-priced guys that are going to go bye-bye like Jimmy Graham. I don't know that, but I assume that. And that's the other thing. If they are interested in Austin Hooper, Jimmy Graham doesn't stand a chance. Because if we're going to spend $10, $11 million on a guy, which his cap hit last year was $12.6 million, this year $11.6 million. I mean, give me a break. Cut Jimmy. Take that $8 million bucks, Put it toward Austin Hooper. Throw another $3 million on there, and there you go, you know, $11 million. Even if it's $13, we're talking $5 million over. Not that much especially since we're not actually going to be paying the full 13 up front. A lot of it's, well, I mean, we will be paying it in cash through signing bonus, but the cap hit is going to be less. We could get Austin Hooper and effectively not have much of a cap hit at all because you can make it end up being about $8 million and then the rest being signing bonus that is redistributed throughout the rest of his contract. So he doesn't have to be all that expensive. It's not just a matter of, well, we only have $30 million. We can't afford him. Yes, we can. We can sign Austin Hooper and have it not even hardly touch our, our salary cap, not even move the needle. And we can actually pay him more if he's worth $13 million, We can give him $20 million this year and have it not even touch our salary cap. Because, again, they like to do heavy signing bonuses. And the signing bonuses are redistributed throughout the length of the contract. And because he's so young, you can give this guy a, a four- or five-year contract, no problem, spread that money out. So a lot of people worry about how much money we have. Eh. Look at how these contracts lay out that the Packers pay these guys. Zadarius Smith was averaging $17 million a year. We didn't pay him $17 million. I think he got like $6 million. Now, up front, we paid him $20 million in cash, gave him a $1 million salary. So he made $21 million, another $500,000 on his roster bonus, and then a $750,000, uh, so call it another million bucks. So about, he made $22 million, but our cap hit was $7.2 million. So again, you look at it and say, well, we can't afford $17 million. Well, that's true. And the interesting thing is, we not only signed a guy for $17 million, we paid him $22 million, but our cap hit was $7 million. So don't get too caught up in we only have this much cap space. This is how we play with money. And yes, that does push money out. But then in 2020, we, we pay him the $17 million, but we have more money. That's that's where you look at it and say, okay, what can we afford down the line? 2021, we're paying him $20 million. It's like, oh, that's such a crazy amount of money. Well, in 2021, not really. I mean, for 2019, $20 million would have been worth it. It's just a matter of being able to project these things out, and it becomes pretty reasonable. So the, the point is, if we want Austin Hooper, we can get Austin Hooper, and the salary cap is not an issue. It, what it really comes down to is what value do we have on Austin Hooper? How badly do we want him? What's our number? We offer that number, and if he wants to come to Green Bay for that number more than he wants any other offer, he's going to come here. And that's the bottom line, because Pac Daddy said so. 
Um, a little bit further news, uh, the Falcons GM, Thomas Dimitrov, was asked about it. He said that the negotiations were trudging along, which isn't super encouraging if you're a Falcons fan wanting to keep Austin Hooper, which, by the way, is a possibility. We could find out tomorrow that they locked him up to a long-term deal and all this goes out the window. But his full quote was, after the Super Bowl week, we'll continue to see how we're moving forward. At this point, there's no updates on Austin, which is so weird. I mean, if, if I'm the Falcons, it's like, we got to get this guy locked up. He's acting like, eh, we'll see how it goes. But 25 years old, had a breakout career, which, by the way, and I want to do this later on, the 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 thing, the project that I want to work on later is who is the next Zedarius and Preston Smith? And, and the formula here is a young guy who is uh, coming to the end of their first contract, right, their rookie contract, who just kind of broke out. That was Zedarius and Preston. Austin Hooper fits that protocol perfectly, and if, if if that's if that is Brian Gutekunst's formula for success, Austin Hooper is just, I mean, he's freaking out about Austin right now. 25 years old, just coming off his first contract, had a breakout year, career high in catches at 75, uh, receiving yards 787, and touchdowns at six last uh, uh, this past season, despite only being available for 13 games. The expectation is eight to ten million, which is chump change for the Green Bay Packers. Imagine paying a guy like Austin Hooper the same amount or less than you're paying Jimmy Graham. This is a team that's willing to pay Jimmy Graham 11 to $12 million on their cap for Jimmy Graham. And somebody comes along and says, Austin will come play for you for 10 Huh? That would be like having a diet completely comprised of freezer chicken nuggets, and you're spending like 20 bucks a day on these freezer chicken nuggets just to eat for lunch because, I don't know, they're really expensive and you don't know what value is or what tastes good. And then you find out the Brazilian steakhouse down the street is like, hey, 15 bucks a day, you can come in here and eat as much steak as you want right off the spit. I'll come and bring it to you on a sword. You can just eat it right off my sword. Dude, I'm going to punt these chicken nuggets so far down the street and run there barefoot uphill in the snow to go get my steak on a sword. For fifteen dollars a day, that's that, that's that's ridiculous. And you got to understand, other people might be looking and going, "I don't know, fifteen bucks. I don't know if I can afford fifteen. It's just a tight end." But the Packers, we're already overpaying for nothing. You're telling me eight to ten for Austin Hooper? He doesn't even have to be that good. It's not even a matter of I don't know if he's that good. I mean, for eight to ten, you better be the best football, you know, tight end in the entire NFL. Packers are like, no, man. I mean, if you can be average for eight to ten million, well, that's amazing. I would be so pumped. Imagine $10 million to get an average tight end. That's just, we're in like fantasy land here. So hopefully it is just 8 to 10. And I, I can't imagine the Packers, if Austin's like, dude, $10 million, I'll sign it today, that they're just like, all right, Jimmy, go away. Austin, here's $10 million and all the cheese you can eat. Like, seriously. We talked to Sargento and the rest of the guys around here. They will just give you cheese. You just walk in and say, I would like a, a, a giant wheel of cheese. They will give it to you. Because to be honest, we just kind of feel guilty about $10 million to sign you. So anyways, that's where that's at, and the Falcons would be ridiculous to not sign him for $8 million. Then again, the Falcons have no money, which is amazing to me, because they also have no talent, and that's the sign of a team that is really in trouble. You have a bunch of guys that are paid a lot of money, and you're not winning any football games, and you can't sign anyone because you don't have... Six million bucks is what they have. And they got guys like Vic Beasley that are up for contract, which, granted, you probably don't want to pay him $10, $15 million a year, but do you really want to lose him? So, I don't know. They're, they're in a tough spot, so he's probably going to end up walking. 
which is probably why there's so much talk about him in free agency, because they just can't afford to pay a tight end $10 million when they have $6 million to their name and have, jeez, what is this, 20 free agents? Somehow they have two punters that are free agents. I don't even know how that's a thing. And a kicker. So maybe if they just never kick a football, they could re-sign him. I don't know. Falcons are a mess. In other news, A.J. Green, which is another uh, target. Now, it's a short-term target, and I know the guy cannot stay healthy, but as I've been saying, I'm not opposed to A.J. Green because he's never not been a good wide receiver, and we kind of forget about him, and I think a lot of people think, uh, you know, whatever. I don't really want A.J. Green. Let's focus elsewhere. And, and granted, I don't know how much I want to pay for A.J. Green with all the injuries and everything else. However, some, I guess, somewhat interesting news. He was asked about being franchise tagged, and although he said he wouldn't say no, or, or not that you can say no, but, you know, in today's NFL, you just say, okay, you're going to franchise tag me, I'm not going to play. That becomes an option. He essentially said that that would be, in his mind, disrespectful. And, and what he, his, his exact quote was, I'm not going to turn down $18 million, which is what the franchise tag would be. However, if he were to get a longer-term contract, he wouldn't be turning down $18 million. He would be accepting more than $18 million to go somewhere else if he said, no, I'm not playing under a franchise tag. So, it, I mean, it definitely sounds, I mean, he wants to be in Cincinnati. The Bengals have put a really high priority, probably supposedly the highest priority on bringing back A.J. Green. He said he'll play under a tag. One way or another, it's probably going to happen. But he flat out said that that would be pretty disrespectful and, um, showing that they don't really actually want to sign him long-term, which they probably don't because he's already, what, 32 and injury-prone now? However, little tiny sliver of, of, I guess if you're interested, hope that he would be available. But, you know, probably not. Um, and other not super interesting news, the Minnesota Vikings did decide to promote, I guess promote, it sounded like his title was more important before, but promote Gary Kubiak to offensive coordinator. There was a lot of talk amongst Vikings fans that essentially he was the offensive coordinator anyways, so I don't expect a ton to change, which I think the the biggest thing is you had Stefanski before with Kubiak as the assistant, so you kind of had both. Now Stefanski's gone, and even if you want to say this was Kubiak's system, there was two people doing essentially what Kubiak is going to have to do by himself, which is really just, you know, kind of stretching yourself out. That's not to say they can't hire somebody to spread out the workload, but it's not going to be, you can't assume it's going to be the exact same thing. Because what was Kubiak doing before? And what was Stefanski doing before? And are we saying Kubiak's going to do both of those jobs at the same time? That's physically impossible. These guys are working 70-hour weeks. I'm sorry, but Kubiak is like 70 years old. He's not going to work 140 hours in a week, which is not even possible. Beyond that, Stefanski was calling the plays, so Kubiak, maybe it was, he was the one kind of guiding and helping to implement a certain kind of scheme and system, but play calling is a different thing, and maybe Kubiak could be better, I don't know. But also there's the locker room aspect, there's the coaching and teaching aspect, all these things change. It was Stefanski, now it's Kubiak. Maybe it'll be better, maybe it'll be worse, but it will be different. You can't just say, well, they agree on the same scheme, therefore everything stays the same. Stefanski had input. Stefanski was calling the plays, he was coaching the players, he was coming up with a game plan. And again, even to, you know, to whatever percentage Kubiak was, was a part of that, Stefanski was also a part of that. He wasn't just a, a walking puppet who had Kubiak call in the play and then Stefanski would call that into the quarterback. You don't hire a guy as a head coach who does that. And again, for whatever it's worth, at least until Kubiak and the Vikings can get a better offensive line going, the Green Bay Packers and Mike Pettin are not having any issues with the Vikings. And so keeping things consistent, although it could be negative because the Vikings are a pretty good football team, um, the fact that the Packers swept the Vikings, uh, yeah, keep it consistent. Let's, let's keep everything as it is. 
Um, there's also Amari Cooper. I don't think Amari's going anywhere. The Dallas Cowboys are just so loaded with money. They've got a lot of guys to resign, but Dak and Amari are the top two guys, and those are the two that they're I would I would say for sure going to resign. And then after that, we'll see kind of what the money situation is. But you know, again, that's another name that's kind of hanging out there, right? They they've got a lot of money, but they've got a lot of people to resign. If they resign Dak, that lowers the probability of Amari at least a little bit. So maybe Amari could be available, but probably not. Um, and then Amari Cooper, uh, yesterday, when asked by Jane Slater, said he wants to be there a long time. The, the interesting thing about the, the tweet, although he says he wants to be in Dallas for a long time, she goes on to say that um, he has not spoken with a new wide receiver coach, Adam Henry, but said he's going to be getting feedback from OBJ and Jarvis Landry, who are in the same, wherever they are. I don't know if this is, I doubt players go to the Senior Bowl, so I don't know where they're all hanging out. But what, what exactly do you think OBJ and Jarvis Landry are going to tell Amari? Do you really think football players are going to say, man, you got to be loyal to the team. Dallas brought you in. Just stick with them. Other players are only going to ever, ever say one thing. Just like girlfriends will never say it's your fault. It's his fault. All men are dogs. They're all pigs, whatever, right? It's the same garbage advice you're going to get every single time. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. That's just what you're always going to hear. It's never your fault. It's his fault. Football players are only ever going to say, go get that money. So if he's going to... Odell Beckham Jr., who, by the way, just, I mean, he's traded, but they're only ever going to say, dude, just follow the money. Take care of yourself. If a better offer comes than what Dallas is offering you, forget loyalty. Go where the money is. So if he seriously is looking to get genuine feedback from other players, which I suppose most, most players do that, I promise you the only advice a player will ever give is take care of yourself first. Don't worry about loyalty. They're not going to be loyal to you. You don't be loyal to them. Maybe the A.J. Greens and the uh, Larry Fitzgeralds of the world would would have a little bit of a different message. But I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm very excited for free agency, especially, like I said, the last three, four years, free agency has just become psychotic. It used to be relatively subdued, but now it's become free agency is, is... it's funny because we, we always joke about, and you know, the old timers always talk about, you know, r- real life football isn't Madden and real life isn't fantasy football. However, every single year it gets closer to Madden and it gets closer to fantasy football, right? If you remember back in the day, that old John Madden commercial, you never go for it on fourth down. And then the guy's just smiling, nodding, like, oh yeah, we're going for it. The NFL is trending toward going for it on fourth down more often. Right, same with always going for two. Like, you just, you're playing Madden. Like, dude, I want two points. I'm going for two. This guy can't stop me. The NFL is trending toward two-point conversions. Now that you know, maybe that's kind of dialed back a little bit, but it's trending toward. It turns out all these Madden nerds at 12 years old were correct about a lot of stuff. You should go for it on fourth down. Same with fantasy. Like, oh, it's not just fantasy football. You can't just trade guys willy-nilly. Well, look where we're at now. Fantasy football is just teams just swapping all their guys. Like, I'll give you this for two of these. I'll give you four of my guys for three of your guys and some cracker jacks. Right, you get the pizza tomorrow, and then this guy, and I'll give you this guy. So all the old-timers are, are, are sticking to, like, you know, this is what football is, but they refuse to acknowledge that football evolves, and it has evolved into Madden and fantasy football. So we'll see. I mean, we, we've seen a lot crazier things happen than Amari Cooper saying, no, I'm not going to play for the Cowboys and going somewhere else because they're trying to lowball me or whatever. Plus, let's not forget, you know, granted, they're keeping the same offensive coordinator, so if Amari was, was good before, he'll be good again. But Mike McCarthy's going to have some input on this, which might change the way we think about things. I don't know. Also, let's remember, very strong wide receiver class. And for whatever that's worth, overpaying for wide receivers this year is going to be even harder for GMs and owners. You know, it's going to be a hard, let me put it this way, it's a hard year for wide receivers to play hardball. 
no, I'm not going to take that 15 million. I want 17 million. I want 20 million. I want to be the highest paid wide receiver. Look, man, I'll I'll pay you a decent wage, but for 20 million bucks, I'd rather keep that, sign three other guys that we have, and draft a wide receiver. That makes more sense to me, and and have a pretty good shot at drafting somebody as good or better than you. Because you got guys out there saying this is the best wide receiver class I've seen in 20 years. So bargaining hard at the wide receiver position this year, although guys will still get paid, it's a little bit harder. So I guess we're slightly on A.J. Green and Amari watch, but probably not too much. And also it, it probably means that if they do hit free agency, they're not even going to command that much there because even the Packers are going to be thinking that. I'm not going to go out and get A.J. Green for, for $18 million or Amari for $18 million when we can draft a guy. He might not be Amari Cooper, but I, you know, I, I like having $18 million also. I kind of want to pay Kenny Clark at some point here. But anyways, finally, there was uh, one Senior Bowl meeting that has been documented so far for the Green Bay Packers, and that is with Alabama linebacker Anthony Jennings. I actually have not watched Anthony Jennings this year, but he was on the watch list last year, decided to go back to school. From watching him last year, very far from impressed. Did not like him at all. I didn't understand the hype. Now, granted, people were talking about early second, possibly first round guy, and I'm looking at him going, never in my life would I draft this guy in the first or second round. According to PFF, they have him as a fourth round prospect, so I'll go back and watch him again. Maybe he's worth a fourth round guy. Um, He is listed as an edge rusher. I know he spent some time at inside linebacker, but um, he's got a lot of limitations. And so he's, he's one of those guys that really needs to become a technician if he's going to do anything at the next level because he's not very physically imposing. He's not going to be stronger or faster than, than NFL tackle. So he's going to have to be a technician. And the point is, how good at that can you be in the NFL to make an impact? Some guys can do it. I don't know, but it's a super high-risk proposition. But it's worth looking into Anthony Jennings again. The Packers are meeting with him or have met with him. So add that to your list of guys to, uh, to watch. Anyways, let's take our final break and then look at our last two uh, agenda items. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Today's episode of the Packernet Podcast is sponsored by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real sports fans. Remember, as I've said, the benefit of, of paying for this, because I always thought this was kind of weird. Why would you pay for this when all the information is free? The problem that we're seeing is the massive upsurge in clickbaity garbage articles. In other words, misleading or just controversial for the sake of being controversial because we want to get people in here just to click. And it's not about actually bringing you quality content. It's about how do we draw as many people in as possible. And they do that through misleading titles and things that don't actually have any substance. It's just, again, how do we get you in here so we can get that ad revenue? But if 
if we've got you to pay a subscription, then the, the only way we get to keep you paying subscriptions is to give you the quality that you want. Because there's only so many clickbaity things that you can look at and realize there's no substance before you say, I'm not paying for this subscription anymore. So there's no pop-up ads, no clickbaity articles, just high-quality sports writing from great sports writers. And again, what you're going to get when you tell them the, the teams that you're interested in is a personalized news feed. You'll be able to download the Athletic app and get the Athletic uh, news feed brought right to your phone. You, you even get things like live writer Q&As. So if you're ready to get started, go to theathletic.com overtime to get 40% off a yearly subscription. That's theathletic.com overtime. So I want to look first at the coaching staff. Obviously, we're keeping our defensive coordinator. Everything else is kind of up in the air. Now, if, if I had to look at guys, first of all, that I think are definitively safe, I would say, uh, number one, head coach Matt LaFleur is safe. Although, I don't know that I would say long term, but definitely this year. And I'll elaborate on that in a minute. Um, I think Luke Getze is safe. He is our quarterback coach. The reason being, I think he was brought in because he has a great relationship with Rodgers, so he's kind of untouchable, it would be my assumption. Um, after that is, is Adam Stenovich. He is our offensive line coach. The reason I believe that he is somewhat untouchable is because he came over from the San Francisco staff, handpicked by Matt LaFleur. He's helping to kind of coach up the offensive line to be what Matt LaFleur wants it to be. And unless he just did a terrible job, which I don't believe he did, if you look at, for example, Brian Malaga probably having the best year of his career, um, you know, the, the strides he took with rookie Elton Jenkins and whatnot, I would say that he's definitely safe. And then another guy that is, I would say, definitely safe is Chris Gizzy, if that's how you say his name, I don't know. But our strength and conditioning uh, coach or coordinator, whatever. Considering basically nobody was hurt ever, that guy's got, he's, he's 100% safe. Um, guys that are probably safe, well, now we can say definitively Mike Patton. I didn't have that at the time. Uh, I would say Jerry Montgomery, our defensive line coach. Uh, ben Sermon's running back coach. And I put Mike Smith, and the only reason I put maybe on Mike Smith is because there's the possibility that he gets hired away. I suppose it's possible any of these guys get hired away. But I feel like the job Mike Smith did in Kansas City, you got to understand, Mike Smith in Kansas City had D. Ford, who was basically a bust, and Justin Houston, who was over the hill. Neither of these guys was producing, turned them into the best pass rush duo in football, comes to Green Bay, Wisconsin, a place that has zero pass rush, and again, has the best pass rush duo in football. Arguably on probably both accounts, but you could make an easy case that this guy created the best pass rush duo with two different guys on two different teams, neither of which were, were great pass rushers the year prior to Mike Smith getting there. Him getting hired away is not that unlikely. The guy is a magician with pass rushers, which, by the way, is, is a big part of the reason why I'm not about to give up on Rashawn Gary. Now, I want to go to Nathaniel Hackett because he's, he's the last guy that I would say is relatively safe. However, I was listening to Michael Lombardi on, I forget the name of the podcast, GM Shuffle or whatever. His contention is he's not super high on Matt LaFleur and that a lot of people are not super high on Matt LaFleur. In fact, most people tend to believe Matt LaFleur has no idea what he's doing. Now, that could largely be because of inexperience, but the question is, is he ever going to get to that level? In other words, when he looked at the 49ers game, he saw a head coach that did not come up with a good game plan and really doesn't understand fundamentally how to attack a defense because he didn't do it right. Now, this isn't, that's, this isn't my contention. I'm just telling you what a, a high-ranking guy who, who talks to, who has connections with other GMs and coaches and scouts... They talked about Matt LaFleur, and the, the consensus is this was not a good hire. 
He mentioned that the Tennessee Titans were planning on actually firing him and not even bringing him back as the offensive coordinator before the Packers brought him in. You couple that with some of the other people talking about the idea that the offense did not actually necessarily improve. The improvement for the Green Bay Packers was all defensive improvement. The same issues with Aaron Rodgers and the ability, inability to push the ball down the field. It was the same issues that they had last year. Now, I, I, you know, again, this could just be a talent thing. Get a couple wide receivers on the tight end in here. Get some more people open. Aaron Rodgers hits the open guys. We can run the ball. Everything's working great. We need to develop the scheme. All that's fine. But here's the point. The point is, what he was saying is Matt LaFleur needs somebody by his side that needs to teach him how to actually be a good head coach and offensive coordinator. And I don't know that Nathaniel Hackett is that guy. Nathaniel Hackett is just another offensive coordinator. He's a scheme guy. He's a play caller guy. And the point is, what he was saying is Matt LaFleur is a play caller. He understands the, the system. He understands the scheme. He understands how to pl- how, how to call plays. But that's all he is, is a play caller. He looks at his sheet and says, this is a good play in this situation. And that there's another level that guys like Kyle Shanahan are on to look at, a, at another defense and say, this is how we're going to attack you right now. And Matt LaFleur is not on that level and that Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers need to bring somebody in that can coach up Matt LaFleur on that a little bit. And again, my contention is Nathaniel Hackett is not that guy. Now, the the issue is Michael Lombardi is not in charge of this situation, and everybody else that has that opinion is not in charge of this situation. If Matt LaFleur likes Nathaniel Hackett, and everybody feels like the offense is fine and everything's great, then everything stays the same. And hopefully that's the case, and hopefully everything's fine, and we just sign a couple guys and draft a couple guys, and the offense gets clicking, and these guys don't know what they're talking about. However, I don't know necessarily, just to, to, to give them the benefit of the doubt on this, the people that are saying this about LaFleur, although we saw some, some more innovation on the offense, I don't know that there's a ton that we can point to to say, yes, definitively, this offense has improved massively. There just really isn't. In fact, if you look at DVOA, the Green Bay Packers in 2018 had 11% as their offensive DVOA. This year it's at 6.5%, which is lower. So according to Football Outsiders and, and the DVOA system that they use, the offense actually regressed, actually went backwards. And so I'm, I'm just hanging this out there to say that I think Matt LaFleur has got some proving to do. As much as we all want to talk about Mike Pettin and, and you know how horrible he is and all that stuff, I think Matt LaFleur has got to be able to prove that, okay, we're going to get you your guys, similar to what we did to Mike Pettin. We're going to go get you the guys that you need to complete this thing. But you've got to be able to demonstrate that you can go out and improve this offense. Right, we we hired you to be the next Kyle Shanahan and 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 Sean McVay. And although you did wonders for the locker room and, and everybody seems to be getting along great and your ability to win in tight situations and all that, that's great. We need to see improvement on this offense. We need to see an offense that can that can move the same way that the forty and granted it took years for the 49ers to get there. Uh even Sean McVay, it took him a year. And there was there was a lot of overhaul, especially along the offensive line. You know, the, the Rams brought in a ton of wide receivers. When they were on top of things, they went out and got two dominant wide receivers that fit their scheme and their system, and they were unstoppable. So I'm, I'm, I'm not making any vast proclamations, but I at least want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt without saying, no, you're, you're, you're wrong, you don't understand, you're a dummy. I don't have a lot that I can look at and say, here's why you're wrong. Here's why you're wrong about Matt LaFleur. I understand the record. I get the record, but why is the record the record? I've already said that the Packers are where they are because of the defense. Because of the defense keeping the score down to 24 points or lower, which sets a real low bar for the offense to get over. We can't sit here and act like we didn't watch an offense that sputtered all year long, because we 100% did. And so I'm still on the, the LaFleur bandwagon. I'm excited about getting new guys in here and, and you know, having a dominant offense. But the point is, that better be the case. When we get better players, and we will, 
if we go out and get Austin Hooper and, and draft, uh, you know, a wide receiver and, and all this different stuff, the point is, from the GM standpoint, I'm going to get you the guys you need. You better produce then. Because 2019, the record was good enough. No question. I'm excited about 13-3 and and getting to the NFC Championship. That's great. But the, the production has to be better. Can't have this kind of inconsistent, sputtering sort of offense. The expectation is just higher. And, and that's true for Pettin and, and uh, LaFleur. I'm not saying Pettin was, was perfect. He's got some proof. Everybody has to prove their worth. Even Brian Gutekunst has to keep delivering. Otherwise, Mark Murphy's going to say goodbye. Everybody is being watched this way. I'm just saying, at this point, we're making excuses for Matt LaFleur because he doesn't have his guys, and that's true. My point is, he better put himself in a position to where when he gets his guys, this offense is clicking. And if that means getting someone other than Nathaniel Hackett, then you better do it. I don't think they will, but, you know, we'll see. And and the point is, if they were to move on, and if he was to take uh, Michael Lombardi's advice, you would go out and hire, you know, obviously not Mike McCarthy, but a guy like that. A guy who's been a head coach, who understands the differentiation between being a play caller and, and being an, an offensive mind that can attack a defense, that can come up with a game plan that attacks your weaknesses. I forget his exact terminology. I'll have to go back and, and look it up because he said a term that I've actually never heard before. But I want to look it up and, and figure out exactly a little bit more about what he was saying that Matt LaFleur wasn't doing. But, um, yeah, it was it was a little unnerving, and it made me very angry the first time I heard it. And I'm sure it doesn't make you very happy to hear me say it. But, again, it's it's one of those things where you got to swallow that and really think about what he's saying and, and could it be true. And, of course, the answer is yes, it can be true. But it's also true that the guy's never been a head coach before. He got thrust into this. This is a guy who's been on a different team every year over the last four years. This is the first time he's going to be able to to reevaluate his own offense and make adjustments to his own offense and go to a GM and say, this is what I need for my offense. Not go to Mike Vrabel, who then goes to the GM, as the head coach saying, this is what I want and what I need, and to have a GM that's willing to say, okay, I will go get you that. It's a learning process. So, of course, I'm not giving up on Matt LaFleur. He's got a lot to learn, and we, we should give him the, the time of day, what he's been able to do to get this team to where it is. You know, what he did for the locker room is great, but I do think there's some some somewhat of a learning curve. I don't agree with going out to San Francisco on Saturday. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I feel like that was playing scared. And it's essentially telegraphing that I don't believe that my guys can handle being out there too long, because that was the reason they switched it to Saturday. They went out Friday the first time, everybody went out partying, and so they said, all right, we're not doing Friday anymore because these guys can't handle being out there all that time, so we're going to go out Saturday so they don't have time to be partying. The fact that they went out Saturday for this game was really disappointing because it still was him saying, I don't trust my guys to be focused for the NFC Championship game, we're going to go out on Saturday. I was not happy about that because either he's wrong and should have trusted his guys and did the right thing, which is to go out Friday... Even LaFleur knows that. Everybody knows you want to get out there on Friday to be out there a little bit earlier. But either he's right and this locker room is a mess because he can't even control his guys to be focused on the NFC Championship game, which is kind of what he alluded to at the press conference. I don't know why these guys can't be focused for a game like this, which again, as Michael Lombardi pointed out, does fall on the head coach. You can't deflect that to your your players. Their focus level and intensity level is on you. And that also comes back to, you know, you've got different kind of coaching styles. You've got some that are super laid back, right? You usually go from a Mike McCarthy strict to a more laid back. But then things get too laid back. So then a guy like LaFleur gets fired. You bring somebody in who comes in and clamps down and says, we're going to be more focused. So we swing to the other end of the spectrum, which means everybody in the locker room, all this environment, it gets much better. But you also get guys getting arrested for, for weed coming from Chicago. You get guys partying out in California and not being ready for a game. You get problems like that. 
You go out late to an NFC Championship game because you're worried these 20-year-old millionaires are going to go out partying all night, which is a problem. So anyways, again, he, he's got an entire offseason to reevaluate this stuff, and he already said he needs to. He needs to look at that NFC Championship game and, and say that there's something fundamentally wrong here because that was not good enough. And I am shocked and stunned, and it, it, it does cause for reflection. I thought we were something that we weren't, and I need to address that. And so, again, the, the point is, I like Matt LaFleur. I'm excited about this offense improving. But he, like everybody else, is on notice, and this needs to be better. And the same is kind of true with Mike Pettin. And so a lot of the reason people didn't really like him, because he got everything he wanted, and it still was just kind of a, you know, points-wise it was great, but there's still some issues there. And so I would say Mike Pettin and LaFleur and a lot of people, it's, it's one of those things where the GM is saying, look, I can only give you so many players. At some point, I need you to produce. And again, I understand the record and I understand the NFC Championship game, but let's not pretend that that encompasses the whole season. There are other markers that need to be met. Because the fact of the matter is the level of play doesn't ensure 13 wins in the regular season and an NFC Championship game. That level of play is not going to get you that far very often. So, of course, again, happy but not satisfied is, is my standard for last season. I'm happy with what they were able to do, but I'm certainly not satisfied. And, and the GM is not satisfied, Matt LaFleur is not satisfied, Petten is not satisfied. That's the standard, and that's what the standard should be. Anyway, some of the other guys, I mean, it's hard to say whether the position coaches are going to be targeted, but you got a guy like Alvis Witted, the wide receiver coach. Is he really going to be blamed for the lack of talent? I don't know. Justin Outen, the tight end coach, a little bit disappointing because we do have a rookie who was not even able to get on the field and didn't understand what he was doing out there. You've got veterans who are not producing. You've got a guy that's a veteran but is also young. I mean, we've got the whole full spectrum of tight ends, and, and none of them seem to be able to produce. Again, maybe you don't want to put that on him, but I think the rookie not being able to get on the field is the biggest issue. We've got two first-round draft picks that can get on the field. Granted, Rashawn not as much, but that has to do with the talent ahead of him. Savage is an, is an instant start, starter. you got Elton Jenkins, who is an instant starter and, and gets plugged in and is, is contributing right away. And then we got a third-round tight end that can't... And, he, you know, he was hurt, which is part of it. But even when he came back, he wasn't up to speed on things. He didn't understand how to do things. And maybe that's Sternberger's fault. But if I'm Justin Outen, I'm sweating a little bit. Because it's your entire job to get this guy ready and prepared and make sure that he can contribute. And he didn't. And then you got Kirk Olivadotti inside linebacker coach I mean you know again is it the talent fault you know the 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 lack of talent or are you just not getting these guys ready I mean we've got other guys right my expectation for you is not to just teach the basics but we've got guys like Oren Burks that I would like to see improvement on he did not improve even a little bit maybe that's Oren Burks fault maybe there's just nothing there and that's on the GM but at the same time what value have you have you brought to the team did, did one single person at the inside linebacker position improve? No. So, Jason Simmons, DB coach, I mean, you can't be all that impressed. I would say that all of these guys, well, I mean, you, you could be depending on where you want to look. And again, the, the guys like Matt LaFleur and Mike Patton, they understand much better than we do whether or not these coaches are, are doing the job they need to do. But, for example, when I look at Jair, a guy with the ability to be special, just kind of being a meh corner, that, that makes me a little bit not super excited. And we've had a history of underwhelming cornerbacks, guys that were drafted very early that can't produce. And Jason Simmons has been around for a long time. Granted, he was sort of the number two, and our number one got fired after like 15 years with the Packers. But it's still the same guy, and it's still the same system, and it's still the same, 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 same. It wouldn't super surprise me if Mike Pettin said, listen, I'm going to go out and get my own DB guy. And then other than that, Sean Menenga, I know things got better over time, but I mean, what, again, what did you do 
that anybody on this planet couldn't have done. Because for half the season, this was a historically bad special teams unit. Certainly would not say that he's safe. Anyways, I got one more thing I want to look at real quick, and that is my Green Bay Packers versus the rest of the league thing. And again, the goal of this is I looked at our top three wide receivers. The top three that I determined were um, Adams, Lazard, and Kumaro. It was not easy to come to that. You could say MVS was number three just based on snap counts, but Kumaro was just a higher performing player. I don't think Kumaro's going to be back, but again, we just we don't really have a number three. However, I wanted to look at these guys compared, not just compared to all other wide receivers, but Adams compared to all number one wide receivers. Lazard compared to every team's number two wide receiver, and Kumaro compared to every team's number three wide receiver. And then from there, look at how much better or worse this player actually is compared to the other teams. And again, I am using PFF for this because it's just the best metric that I can think to use. So for Devontae Adams, by the end of the year, our number one wide receiver was the ninth best number one wide receiver. Now, I didn't put the names of all the players in there, but I do have the teams. You can probably fill in the blanks. But the Buccaneers, the Falcons, the Saints, the Texans, the Redskins, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and the Titans all had players that were number one wide receivers that graded out higher than Devontae Adams. Now, that you can probably figure out on your own as far as him being a top ten receiver and all that. However, where the number two and three stack up is where it gets interesting. Alan Lazard was actually the 14th best number two wide receiver in the league. He ended up with a 72 overall grade, which is a good grade. Only 15 players have number two wide receivers with a good grade. Only one has a number two uh, with a grade in the 80s, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because they've got a duo that is just ridiculous. They've got a number two that's basically a number one. And I also, by the way, have set um, how much of a percentage higher is that player than the league average. Devontae Adams is 105%, so 5% higher than the average number one wide receiver. Alan Lazard is 103%. So 3% higher than the average. So we have an above average number one and an above average number two. Now again, we, we have to assume Lazard stays at the level that he's at, but if you take what he did this season and compare it to the other team, he wasn't that terrible. Inconsistent, yes, but not that bad. And, and by the way, most players are inconsistent to some level. Where it also gets pretty interesting is Jay Kumaro. Now granted, if you want to put MVS in here, it's one of the worst, and, and Geronimo would be probably the worst number three. But Kumaro himself wasn't that bad. Now, it's somewhat of a small sample size. Again, if you filter out based on 20% of the, the highest snap counts, Kumaro doesn't even make the list. But I did use Kumaro anyways. And again, this isn't so much a look forward. This is a look back into last year to see how good or bad the unit was. Kumaro actually ranked 20th, which again, isn't great. But when you've got a number one that's better than average, a number two that's better than average, and then the number three, who is actually 99% of the average, which is to say he's right at about average. The average number three graded out at a 63.8. Kumaro is a 63.4, so he's almost exactly average. That is to say our trio, which I actually did the math on that as well, if we look at this, was actually the 12th best trio in the NFL. Now, that's again, that's not great, but it doesn't super fit the narrative that this is the most garbage wide receiver group in the NFL and it needs to get fixed. Better than the Bills, the Colts, the Redskins, the Saints, the Seahawks, the Bengals, the Browns, the Broncos, the the, uh, Dolphins, the Bears, the Jets, the Jaguars, the Patriots, the Eagles, the Chargers, the Steelers, the Cardinals, the Redskins, or the Raiders, the Ravens, and the Panthers. So again, it kind of comes back to the whole excuse thing. Do we need better wide receivers? Yes. Does Rodgers need some better weapons? Yes. But do we need a, a little bit less excuses once in a while? I think so. 12th best wide receiver trio. Granted, again, Kumaro wasn't out there very much, and it wasn't like it was just... 
Devontae and Lazard and Kumaro all year out there the whole time. In fact, that was very rarely the case, which maybe is part of the problem, but whatever. The point is, as I've been saying, almost no teams, in fact, there's only one team that has two number one wide receivers on their team, but based on this, and that would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You could try to argue that point if you want, but it's, you know, just kind of is what it is. Now, because, um, because you know, the trio is kind of whatever and Kumaro is going to be gone, it makes more sense. Why don't we just look at the, the top duos, Adams and Lazard? Now, just in your mind, where do you think they rank? Because I can tell you, based on PFF grades and the average, would you like to hear the list of, of teams that have better duos than the Packers? Buccaneers, Falcons, Texans, Cowboys, Rams, end of list. The Packers duo of Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard ended up being one grade average higher than Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Because, by the way, they, they both ended actually kind of low. I know they were super high up, but by the end of the year they were trending downward. Uh, Diggs and Thielen, 78 and 76 were their averages by the end of the year. New Orleans Saints, what about them? Why aren't they higher? They've got the best wide receiver in the game. Because their ni- number two wide receiver, his average or his grade was a 64. Their number two is a number three. Again, the, the number three average, the average grade for a number three wide receiver is a 63.8. The average grade for a number two is a 70. The average grade for a number one was a 79.5. Adam Thielen ended at 78.8. He's below the average for a number one is where he ended. So again, I, I would like to get some more talent there, but Adams and Lazard, as far as how this season ended, are a very, very legit number two, or excuse me, a, a legit duo. On top of that, we have Aaron Rodgers, who is 10% higher than the average quarterback. So we have a quarterback that is 10% higher than average. We have a number one that's 5% higher than average, and a number two that's 3% higher. We've got a top 10 wide receiver duo, borderline top five, and a top 10 quarterback. And I haven't done running backs yet, but I'd be willing to bet we got a pretty good group there too. And we have a pretty good offensive line. And so I, you know, again, I'm just kind of to the point where I'm looking at it going, I don't know that I'm really buying all the excuses. I'm willing to give people time, and I understand that these things take time. And I understand the offense wasn't even that bad. Again, you know, DVOA, they had him ranked as the eighth best offense. So that's that's good. That's great. Cool. But I, I just think there's a gap between where you would expect a team with these kinds of numbers and where the Packers are. I mean, even just compare it to the San Francisco 49ers. They've got a really good tight end. That's cool. But where do their wide, where do their wide receivers stack up? Their wide receiver duo is 12th. Packers wide receiver duo is sixth. Aaron Rodgers graded out at an 81.2. Jimmy Garoppolo a 78.2. Again, haven't done tight end, haven't done offensive line, haven't done running backs. That'll all come into play. But the gap between a team with worse wide receivers and a worse quarterback and where the Packers are is a lot bigger than it probably should be based on talent. And so, yes, we need to get better players, and I'm excited about it, but there needs to be a better... The execution needs to be up to the level of the talent, I guess is all I'm saying. And so Gutekunst, absolutely, load him up with whatever he... In other words, Matt LaFleur, come forward and say, in order to run my scheme properly, I need X, Y, and Z. Get him everything he wants, and then tell Matt LaFleur, I have expectations, and these are those expectations. And again, I don't want this to sound negative, I, I just want to be realistic. And I want to be, be stern and be serious, because at the end of the day, this is about winning a Super Bowl, which is a hard thing to do. And being good, not great, is, is cool. Winning the division is cool. Getting to 10, 11, 12 wins is great, but if we actually have Super Bowl aspirations, we got to look at some of these inefficiencies and say, I, I just have higher expectations. And so I'm going to get you a wide receiver. Hopefully that makes Lazard our number three. 
which makes this a very good wide receiver trio. I'm going to try to get you a tight end, and hopefully Sternberger takes a step. And so you'll have a great wide receiver group. You're going to have a great quarterback. You're going to have a great offensive line. You're going to have tight ends. You're going to have a great running back group. And as a result of me getting you one of the best offenses in the league, I have high expectations for the production of this offense. I don't expect you to be average in terms of how many points you score. I expect you to be closer to top five than being in the top 16. Not top half. If I give you a top t- uh, if I give you a top five talented offense, I expect top five production. And that's also true of, of looking at Pettin. I, I love that what the defense was able to do. I'm not complaining. I'm super excited about the potential. But understand, I'm going to get you a couple more pieces. But if I give you a, a roster that 30, you know, or 25 teams in the league would envy, I expect you to be better than those 25 teams that want what we have. If I give you the tools, I expect you to know how to use them. I don't want there to be any waste. Because the fact of the matter is, if I can craft a top three roster, I expect top three production. And if I can't get top three production from a top three roster as the GM that I just crafted, I need to look at a f- and find a coach that can do it. And I'm willing to be patient, but I'm not willing to be stupid. And so my goal is to build that top three roster. I'm looking to get the, the number one roster. I'm going to always keep building and looking to improve and do a great job. But when I give you that, when I give you the keys to this car, you better not wrap this thing around a tree or you're gone. And I don't care if you're the, the, the new hot, cool coach or this big name. I don't care about any of that. I know how good the roster is, and I know what my expectations are based on that roster. And again, I'm, this, I'm not implying anything. I'm just saying going forward, assuming Gutekunst does another good job, we should have high expectations. Because I know there's always those Packer fans who say, oh, you, you know, nothing's ever good enough. Well, that's kind of true. But there's also a difference between the the roster that the Packers have and the expectations we should have. And, for example, the Dolphins. If you're a Dolphins fan, you can't look at that roster and say, I expect better. Should you, though? And so we'll wait and see. We'll see how much talent we get. Maybe Gutekunst lays an egg, and then then that's the problem. I don't know. But I'm just saying, if I were the GM, that would be the the conversation that I would have with all of the coaches. I don't want anyone to feel comfortable, because the, the, the fact of the matter is that was part of the problem with the old regime. Everybody felt comfortable. And it wasn't until Mark Murphy saw this thing was on fire, turned around and said, what is going on here? Saw a bunch of people with their feet up. Nobody was getting fired. Nobody was leaving the organization. Mike McCarthy wouldn't fire anybody. Ever. The only way we lost to coach is if they got hired away. And it got to the point where nobody was getting hired away anymore because nobody was any good. So all of our good coaches got hired away and we got left with all the scraps that Mike McCarthy refused to fire because they were just, you know, he didn't want to fire anybody. And it took Mark Murphy to come back and say, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, and if you don't get your act together, you're fired. And then they didn't get their act together, and guess what? They got fired. And so that same energy, I believe, which is a good thing, is still pointed toward the guys that we currently have. And I think the expectation will be and should be, and I think a conversation will happen that says I'm very happy with what happened. I'm very confident that Gutekunst will continue to help you to provide you with the talent you need. And I am sure that you will execute up to this new standard that we are setting with the full understanding that if that doesn't happen, and if we don't see these markers being met, and again, I'm not just talking about points, I'm not just talking about the record, because nobody's, nobody's even going to be worried about 13-3. and three. That's a nearly impossible metric to hit. It's about a game-to-game basis. It's about not almost losing to the Redskins and the Giants, although we blew out the Giants. It still is one of those, like, what is going on here? It's not almost getting stomped out by the Lions almost every single year, because as much as we have the Vikings number, the Lions seem to have ours. 
How about we we get some solutions to that? How about when we go up against teams with really good offensive lines like the Philadelphia Eagles and the 49ers, we figure out how to fix this? And again, as the GM, I'm going to look to Pettin and say, okay, this is a problem. I need your solution. Okay, here's the solution. All right, I'm going to get you the, what you need, but I fully expect this to be fixed. If it's not, then I'm starting to think the players aren't the problem. And and this isn't unique to the Packers. This is every single team. But again, the, the difference is the Green Bay Packers... And this this is the frustrating thing. When I look at this, it's like it's not as bad as we make it out to be. We act as though we've got the worst wide receiver group in football, and the fact of the matter is it's based on their grades. It's not that bad. Well, if you look at Kumaro and MVS and blah, 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 go find me a number three wide receiver that's elite. fact of the matter is there were only four teams that had a number three wide receiver that had a good grade. The highest, again, was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who just are freaks. They've got the one of the highest number ones. They have the highest number two, and they have the highest number three. That is just a sickening wide receiver group. But the highest is a 72.8. 70 is good. Everything below that is not so good anymore. Buccaneers, Texans, Lions, and Giants. The only three teams with a number three wide receiver in the 70s. Everybody else is average or worse. Three teams have a number three wide receiver that is in the 50s, which is below average. Two teams, the Panthers and the Chargers, have a number three wide receiver that is just flat out bad. Packers have an average wide receiver, which, by the way, is what almost every single team has. Number 27, the Denver Broncos at 27 overall, through the Dallas Cowboys at number 5 overall, all have number 3s in the 60s. So I'm not opposed to getting, you know, a a great trio. I'm just saying we can't sit here and say, well, what do you expect? I I expect to to do what the 49ers are doing, who have a number 1 wide receiver that is not as good as our number 1. They've got a number 2 that's basically the same as Lazard. And they've got a number three that's basically the same as Kumaro. So, yeah, that, that, that must be my expectations. But anyways, in, in the uh, interest of not talking in circles too many more times, I'm going to leave it at that. But I'm going to continue doing this. We're going to run through the running backs and offensive line and whatnot. And then when this is completely done, and I'll do defense another time, but I will convert the grades to just, you know, base 10 kind of number. And then I will put this on Patreons for your for your reference so that you can play with this. But, um, yeah. So that's, that's where it's at. Super excited for the future, but um, I, I really think the expectations are high. As much as it seems silly to say, well, we, we can't expect more. Oh, yes, we can. It's different markers than, than your record, but um, we, we need to find a way to elevate. And, and, and there's every reason to believe we will. And I'm super optimistic and I'm super excited about it, but I'm just I'm not willing to make excuses for it. This was a great first year, and I look forward to, uh, to 2020 being even better. Anyways, that's it. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.